Hi, I'm Dustin. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that this show may be about kids' books, but it's for an adult audience. Sometimes we use profanity or make some risque comments during our discussion. I try to give appropriate ratings in the show notes, so be sure to check those out before you allow your child to listen along because, again, this isn't really made for them. Also, some areas prohibit explicit language, so be sure to listen at your own discretion. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show! a total like earworm like people get it stuck in there and they're like well singing yeah it's just drunk day. drunk you're getting drunk <laughs> drunk drunk you're getting drunk uh so hey everybody i am kelly from drunk theory and today i am here with dustin and we're going to be talking about remember me by christopher pike <laughs> uh spoilers ahead <laughs> that was it that's good that's okay. good <laughs> <laughs> Dustin can read. Welcome to Dustin can read, where today we're getting ghosted proves to be a problem. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about people who just disappeared, stop talking to you. I'm talking about Christopher Pike's classic, Remember Me. Here with me today to talk about the story of a spirit sleuth is Kelly of the uber popular podcast, the indie podcast, Drunk Theory. Say hi, Kelly. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, Kelly, what are you drinking today? Anything special for the recording? Uh, so I am doing uh, Crown and Ginger Ale with a lot of Crown and a little bit of Ginger Ale. So I could call this, you won't remember this tomorrow. <laughs> You won't remember me. <laughs> That's actually a good one, actually, for some, you know, one nice standards out there. What's funny is that I'm drinking something with ginger in it. I got this at the liquor store, and it's called Old Smoky Tennessee Moonshine. It's a mixed cocktail, and it's apple pie ginger flavored. And it's got like 9% alcohol, 18 proof liqueur, you know. Oh, wow, that's trippy. And it's in a can? Yeah. It's pretty, and I, I didn't realize it was going to be as strong as it was. I was like, at oh. first I was like, hmm, this is tasty. Ooh, I can feel that bite afterwards, so. We don't have anything like that here. Like, we don't see, like, mixed cocktails in cans, like, at our liquor stores and stuff. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. But I saw someone at the convention, we, we just did Days of the Dead, and somebody had one, and she let me try it, and I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't see stuff like that. <laughs> huh, that's odd. I would think, I, I don't know. But you're in Kentucky, right? No, South Carolina. Wait, why well, do I think you were in Kentucky? Is somebody else in Kentucky? Uh, I don't know. Don't worry about it. There are people all over, so <laughs> yeah, Carolina. I'm sure there's. Well, Kentucky. you know. Yeah. I don't no, know. South Carolina. <laughs> I'm gonna blame it on the booze. That's all I'm gonna do. Um, oh, yeah, always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Kelly is on a hilarious podcast where she and friends drink and break down conspiracies or true crime stories, stuff like that. And here's that promo. In a world, there was one podcast that made all others look like some little part-time, half-baked ideas that should have been thrown in the trash can after being written down. That's a super long-winded way of saying that Drunk Theory Podcast 
is the best kept secret out there right now. They're a bunch of idiots talking about conspiracy theories. And when these four come together, they have the capability to solve just about any question coming their way. But keep in mind, they're idiots, so sometimes they won't have the answer. But we guarantee you'll end up laughing so hard you cry or urinate in your pants. I don't make the rules here. So let Matthew, Kara, Kelly, and Ryan give you everything you never know you needed and more. Only on Drunk Theory Podcast. Available on all major streaming platforms. More conspiracies coming soon. There you go. (laughs) Be sure to check out her on Drunk Theory, where most podcasts are played. Not only that, but Kelly was recently on the Unchef podcast, where I find out she's a freaking scientist, (laughs) y'all. We got a smarty pants up on the pod today. Yeah, so I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be a scientist. Now I work in regulatory affairs. Oh, but... you're still a scientist. You, you got the degree. You got, you know, you're still a <laughs> yeah. scientist. You might not be active. You know, might not be practicing. But... Regulatory pays better. <laughs> okay, I hear you. I hear you. Well, before we get started, I just want to thank everyone for listening to the show. Be sure to reach out to me by leaving a little rating and review on Apple, Good Pods, Podchaser, or you know, rate me on Spotify. All that good stuff. And also, you can contact me directly on social media. Dustin underscore Holden on Twitter at Dustin can read on Instagram or send me an email at Dustin can read pod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the show of this episode in general and all that. And I want to say that I actually met Kelly on Twitter and she's that's like one of the best pod cheerleaders out there. So thank you for cheering me and so many other podcasters on and suggesting our shows and doing all those good pods review posts, which I took, I took that idea from you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> obviously because i do it i'm like kelly does it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna try to you know promote people as much as i can but uh yeah so thank you so much for that oh you're very welcome and really it's a joy for me because i'm addicted and i work from home you know so i sit on oh, a computer well. all day so i can listen all day and, and, and supervision of like somebody going yeah you can't listen to that right now oh you're, that's as nice. long as i'm not in a meeting i can be listening to podcasts so that, that's how i can listen to so many but oh that's awesome I, i'll yeah. take it like the beginning of my day at work i'll listen to podcasts but after that it's like yeah i gotta turn this off so <laughs> i can do it for like a couple hours that's why i try to do it in the morning as much as possible but i can't listen to a whole bunch so but that's awesome i, th- I think that's great that you promote everybody and you have that good pods check mark well deserved on that oh. so <laughs> <laughs> But um, so, yeah, like we said, in the vein of your show, we're having a little drinky drink. You can drink along if you want. But now we're going to get into that book. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to read this book because a long while back, I did a poll on Twitter and Instagram. And this was the most popular book that I found amongst the Christopher Pike books. Like everybody was like, remember me, remember me, remember me. I'm like, okay, all right. I'll remember. <laughs> and uh, the reason why is because Mike Flanagan, who's done Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor and Midnight oh, yeah. Mass on Netflix, is producing a new Christopher Pike series based on his book, The Midnight Club, where a group of terminally ill kids get together at midnight every night to tell scary stories. Now, I did an episode for that back in early 2021. I think it might have been February with Cameron Chaney from YouTube's Library Macabre before the casting of the Netflix series was even announced. So go listen to that after this. Um, In the TV series, they're going, you know, they tell stories and they're going to be using some of the stories from the book, but also stories from other Pike books. So I figured why not read Pike 
some more of him to get acquainted with some of these. And I read Chain Letter not that long ago. Have you read any Christopher Pike before, Kelly? No, this is my first one. Yeah. Oh, and wow. This this isn't really my genre. but <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I, I wasn't familiar at all going in. Okay, good. Oh, that's good. Actually, it's, you know, a little novice action going on there. Yeah. And you'll get some honest honest feedback that'd be great uh <laughs> because i was not i was like when i read midnight club midnight club might be a little bit more your scene because it's stories within a story kind of thing uh-huh. and and it's a little more based in reality there's a little bit of supernatural that goes on in the real story um but it's mainly it's more you know existentialism philosophy stuff like that happens and it's really interesting um you might like it i think you would um, yeah, I'll check it out. And I'll check out that episode because I don't think I've listened to that one of yours yet. Okay, so, good. I don't think yeah. we spoil really too much about it. So, I mean, even if we do, we don't give everything away. So, it'll be really interesting. Anyway, so Remember Me is an Archway paperback published in 1989 by Pocket Books. The front cover was by Brian Kotsky, and it depicts a girl lying dead on the patio of a beachy resort, it looks like. Everything is forced perspective to fit it all in to fit in the beach, the waves just off the patio, lawn chairs, umbrellas, and a light surrounding her. And at the bottom of the cover, we see what appears to be a ghostly hand gripping the roof of the building that she presumably fell from, which looks to be about four floors up at least from counting the windows. At first I thought it was five, but then it turned out to be four. So the bottom tagline reads, they killed her, but she came back. Now, what did you think of this cover before you started to read Kelly? So my cover does not look like that. Oh, okay. I, Should we, what's your cover look like? <laughs> so I have this, so I don't have like a tagline. Or, oh, you had the new cover. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, mine looks totally different. So I don't have the ghostly hand or the tagline or any of that. Okay. And now but, I'm okay, well, yours, It's kind of <laughs> similar. It's similar. There's still a girl dead on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you read it, you're like, what? So, you know, um, what did you think about that? What did I think about the cover? I, yeah. I think the cover is fine. I mean, um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> no, we're a little awkward, but um, it, it looks kind of like, um, I don't know, in a way that cover looks like it's a graphic novel or something. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. It's like not, not the old school cover like they used to do for all the old school paperbacks for teens back in the day that look kind of like movie posters, you know, with yeah. they're hand drawn and they look really cool. That one's a little more, you can tell it's done on a computer. You can tell all that. And oh, the yeah. color's just bright and vibrant, but. Um, yeah, it does look like a graphic novel. I'm really interested, though, to hear what your back cover says about the summary of the book. So, could you read that for me? I sure can. When Sherry Cooper awoke at home after being at her friend's birthday party, her family acted like she wasn't there. They didn't hear a thing she said. They wouldn't even look at her. Then the call came from the hospital. Her father and brother paled. Her mother started to cry. Sherry didn't understand what was wrong not until she followed them to the hospital. There she found herself lying on a cold slab in the morgue. The police said that it was suicide, but Sherry knew that she had been murdered. Vowing to find her killer, Sherry embarks on the strangest of all criminal investigations, one in which she spies on her friends and even enters their dreams, where she comes face to face with a nightmare from beyond the grave. The shadow, a thing more horrible than death itself, is the key to Sherry's death and the only thing that can stop her murderer from murdering again. Is that that's what you pretty, have? 
Yes, exactly. Pretty much. I mean, it's a little couple rewording, but it's pretty much the same thing. Okay. That's good. <laughs> That's good. They kept the same. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was, um, I was reading. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Now, let me just, for audience members, let me just let you know, her name is spelled S-H-A-R-I, which I'm sorry, ending your name in an I is so pretentious. Oops, sorry, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Our moms are super pretentious. I didn't do it myself. <laughs> yes, Kelly's name is spelled K-E-L-L-I. It is. So, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Sorry. Um, this book <laughs> is about, I mean, 30 year, 33 years old at this point. So I think it it's safe to say the spoilers are ahead. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it. Because if you haven't read it by now, you're probably never going to read it. Or, you know, you just didn't know about <laughs> it. And that's you know, bad on you. So don't listen if you don't want to know what happens. Let's get this recap started. Yes. So the story starts off and we get introduced to Sherry Cooper, our narrator from beyond the grave. She tells us she's going to tell us the story of how she died, even though she can't remember it, which I found to be weird. Now reading <laughs> that back, Sherry has this way of telling us she's not going to tell us something and then tells us anyway. For instance, she immediately says she can't describe her appearance because it doesn't matter since she's dead. Then immediately goes on to tell us that she's a dirty blonde with green eyes. Uh, <laughs> like, okay. Her brother Jimmy says they're brown and she refuses to, she refuses to call him Jim like everyone else till he admits that her eyes are green. I'm like, "What?" Huh? <laughs> Later she talks about the car her parents got for her high school graduation and she doesn't want to say what it is for fear the reader will think she's stuck up. Then in the next season she's like, "Okay, it's a Ferrari." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, what's <laughs> up with you?" What's also funny about Sherry is how self-absorbed she is, something she's sure to tell us. She um, says she says that everyone else thinks that she's this kind-hearted young lady, but she knows she's really kind of stuck up. The way she speaks about herself and others around her reminds me of kind of like Cher Horowitz from Clueless in a way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for me, this whole first part, it was super obvious to me that it was a guy writing a girl. Okay. Like, how come? Because there was a lot of the dialogue, and I'm like, we just don't talk like that. <laughs> like, there are things that we would not say. And there's, like, a part where she's, like, comparing her boyfriend's body to, like, rear suspension on something or other. Oh, I'm, I'm like, getting no. to that. I'm getting to that. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> that's not a thing that's real. You know? No. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it jumped at me immediately. It's like, yes, like, I know what? this is written by a guy. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So Siri isn't going to share her entire life story. She's going to start from the day that she died. She only knows it was the end of May because graduation was coming up and she had been fantasizing about going to the beach with her boyfriend and friends. As you can tell, the girl is rich AF and everyone in her life is beautiful. She says it all started with her brother Jim's dream. Doo -doo -doo. So <laughs> Jim or Jimmy is 19 going on 20 and pretty ripped. Instead of college, he got a job removing telephone poles. And I'm like, just removing them? <laughs> yeah. Like, That's all you do. You just pick them up and take them. Apparently, he has diabetes. He sleepwalks in the bathroom and is obsessed with his girlfriend, Amanda, a pretty dark haired girl. Amanda is also the housekeeper, Mrs. Parrish's daughter. And she's kind of <clears throat> ghosting him lately. <laughs> a little on the nose. 
<laughs> Jerry is getting ready for her semi-friend Beth's birthday party. She and her bestie Joanne call her Big Beth because of them tig old biddies. <laughs> Auga. This to me just drove me crazy because I have like, this is not something. They're like 17, 18, right? Mm-hmm. This is, 17, 18 year old girls don't make fun of other girls' boobs. And apparently, this girl is stupid and her name starts with a B. So why not like bird brain there? They must or be like, like obscenely <laughs> big. Like, that's the reason why they talk about them so much. But I was like, this is like the least creative insult ever. Big <laughs> and, and also, it's it's middle school. Children. It is. It's very middle school. But they've yeah. been friends for so long. They may have given it to her in middle school when she was the first one to blossom. Yeah, and they started maybe, calling her Big Beth. And they just but stuck. I was, like, I was like, no. Once again, sounds like a dude right in there. <laughs> well, Think like you said, Beth. Boobs. No, we're not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Beth kind of seems like one of those nice people who would stab you in the back in a heartbeat to get with your boyfriend, as noted by Sherry. She doesn't trust Big Beth. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm going to call her Big Beth every so often. So, Oh, yeah. Um, and you just got to. It's kind of funny. While sneaking into her brother Jimmy's room to borrow a hairbrush, somehow the soft hair girl keeps breaking all of hers, a ton of them. What is that about? I don't That's understand That's not a that. real thing either. <laughs> I just keep breaking this hairbrush. I'm like, how yeah. hard are you combing? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not a real thing either. And it, it you know, stuck out to me. And I, I'm once again, I'm thinking it's like, you know, dudes see us brush our hair. We brush it hard, I guess. I guess. If, if her hair's know, always yeah, tangled, maybe I don't. I don't know. But. Well, mine's always tangled, but I had the same hairbrush for a long time. So. I mean, clean it out every so often, you know. Yeah, That's what you gotta yeah. do. I don't know, but um, so yeah, Jimmy it was a gets weird up. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> to it's even very talk weird. About. Yeah, I know. Um, Jimmy gets up to sleepwalk into the bathroom. She diverts him to her parents' bathroom because she knows Amanda's in his bathroom. Quote: Getting kitchen cleanser for her mom. I said that in quotes for a reason. Um, she catches Amanda going through the fridge where Jimmy gets his insulin shots, which for some reason he is too embarrassed to talk to her about. Sherry freaks out about the quote stash joking. Like it's her family. Her family's like a drug cartel, but spills the beans and you know, (laughs) I can cut you in kind of thing. And, uh, but then she spills the beans about Jimmy's need for the shots about, you know, her dad's not in the drug cartel. He's like a big time real estate development guy. You know, he's not drug pushing. Which I thought was funny. Yeah. <laughs> she leaves Amanda to find the, quote, the Ajax for Mrs. Parrish and finds her brother now awake, aching to talk to Amanda. Sherry says to just chill out on that. Amanda obviously wants space. After a minute, he finally seems to relinquish and goes back to bed. He gets up at 3 a.m. every day, so he has to sleep during part of the day. Sherry goes to the kitchen to find Mrs. Parrish and Amanda, who is set to join Sherry at Big Beth's party. Even though she doesn't really know anyone. Which seems really strange for someone to be that eager to go to a stranger's birthday party, but I don't know. And also, I want to know why Sherry was so insistent that Amanda try some of her leftover, some of the leftover cake from the the party from the night before her mother had. Like, she yeah. was up with that. She kept pushing it on her, like like drugs, basically. Yeah, you know you yeah. It. She was a little pushy about about the cake, and for the the party invitation, I kind of got the feeling that was more like Mrs. Parrish was trying to make maybe make. Amanda go out more. Be you know? social. Yeah, so so maybe it was just like she got pushed on to Sherry and you know Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's what it was. I don't know. But so Sherry's waiting for her boyfriend Daniel to show up. Sherry talks with Mrs. Parrish, who shows concern for her relationship because Dan doesn't really seem to show much emotional awareness. Quote, he's always talking about things. So Sherry acknowledges that Dan doesn't really take 
interest in feelings and prefers materialistic stuff. I'm like, don't we all? <laughs> no? All right. Um, though she's not on board with Mrs. Parrish's concerned assessment, she does like the woman. There's even a nickname for her, too. There are a lot of nicknames amongst her and her best friend, Joanne. And here's a quote that goes into that and also a character trait of Sherry, which explains a lot about her in a nutshell. It says, Joe, little Joe, had given her a nickname too, Mother Mary. I called Mrs. Parrish that all the time. She was a devout Catholic. She went to mass several times a week and never retired for the night without saying her rosary, much like my mother, actually. That was the one area where we didn't connect. I was never religious. Oh, I always liked Jesus, and I even went to church now and then, but I used to have more important things to think about than God, like whether I should try to have sex with my boyfriend before I graduated from high school or whether I should wait until the 4th of July and the fireworks. I wanted it to be a special moment. I wanted my whole life to be special, but I just hardly ever thought about God. Wow. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't really lying when she was talking about how self-absorbed she was. Like, I don't know if this is just that I'm old because I also notice this in movies now. Like, Whenever, like, they're, like, teenage characters, young adult characters in anything now, I just hate them. Like, I hate all of them. Like, I just, like, you have your whole life ahead of you. Don't make mistakes. Well, it's not that I hate them for being young. I just feel like they're all terrible people now. Like, everybody I know, but now, then, you know what's funny? I noticed that, like, when I was 22 and I started watching, like, teenagers and stuff. I'm like, my friends were never like that. We were never like that. I'm like, we were probably exactly like that. And we were so self-absorbed, we never saw it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but now I'm, I'm 41, so now I'm just like... Ditto, ditto here. Get off my lawn and all. Get off my lawn, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is totally me. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, speak of the devil. She hears Daniel pull up and open her garage to oogle over her new red Ferrari. She thinks about how they met backstage at one of his plays where he was the lead. He asked her out right there on the spot. And I'm like, that's a bold move for a high schooler. If you ask me, I mean, dude seems like a sociopath already, actually. Um, also, I mean, we find out, this is great. We find out that they go to Hazard High. Yes. And it sounds like a YA, <laughs> a YA series about them Duke boys. <laughs> yeah. I think that's funny. The Dukes of Hazard I High. I totally see that. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a funny quote about Daniel that seems, you know, kind of like a teenage Harlequin novel, which is what you said earlier. She says, I must talk about his dashing body. It was smooth and hard. It had great lines, like a great race car, except Daniel wasn't, wasn't red. He was tan. He hugged the road when he moved. He had legs. He had hips. He had independent rear suspension. <laughs> And my brain started to bleed right there. You're like, nose. No. Oh, I need a tissue. Oh, you know, yes. It's like, what? Yeah. What? I didn't understand that at all. But I've never funny. met anybody my whole life that talked like that. But, and if I, mean, I did, I guess... I'd probably punch him in the face. <laughs> it paints a picture, I guess. I mean, it, it sounds like he has a great ass. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he had it. He had hips. Guys usually don't have like hips, noticeable hips. I'm like, ooh, he's he's kind of pear shaped. It sounds like almost in a way, but but he's not. He's supposed to and be it's really weird because hot. That's not even something like on a man's body that women generally would look at or, or comment on either. You know, I know. <laughs> unless more... he brought attention to them, like the way he walked. I'm like, why are you walking with your popping your hips? Like, yeah. Like, is Daniel okay? We don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um. So, yeah, she goes on to talk about the one time they almost had sex. They got naked, but before they could get it on, Daniel 
arrived at his destination. <laughs> In her words, quote, he was as fast as the car. I left the room a virgin. Oh my God. I'm like, damn. <laughs> Something tells me that the fact that she even told her friend Joanne a little about it, about what happened. She said she got vague with her, but I'm like, how vague? Really? Um, she oh, said, no, we would have told gonna... everything. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this is going to play a factor here. You know, <laughs> this is going to play a factor for sure. Yeah. And, but it turns out Dan doesn't really like Joanne either. It sounds like she's a real, quote, ball buster, Joanne. Um, he also seems annoyed that Amanda is going with him to the party, too, and then slams the door to the Ferrari pretty hard, like, a you know, kind of pitching a fit, which yeah. prompts Sherry to tell us that she's never really felt comfortable around him. I'm like, bitch, then why are you dating? What? She's like dickmatized or something, you know? <laughs> There's damn teenage for, for hormones. Apparently, no reason. But also, like, he, he strikes me as really childish. Like, I'm a pro yes. tantrum, you know? <laughs> he's childish, but he's also got one thing on his mind, but he's very mean. He's mean. Yeah, yeah you know? he's not a good person. I don't all. know. Anyway, so Amanda shows up in the middle of their makeout session outside, and Sherry excuses herself to say bye to Mother Mary and Jimmy, to which Amanda says, say hi for me. And I'm like, oh, she does still like him. She's ghosting him for no reason. So she finds Jimmy awake, and this is where we finally get to his dream. He and Sherry were in a field that felt like, quote, a world inside of a flower. And I'm like, okay, I can see this. Like, I think Christopher Pike does a good job, like, spelling out with the surreal stuff, actually. I thought um, that, too. And I liked pretty much everything where nobody was talking. When people started talking, that's when it kind of went south for up. me. Yeah, you're like, oh, why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. No. Yeah. And this dream description is kind of like, I mean, don't you love it when you tr you try to describe weird shit in your dreams to other people? Like, you dream that you're at home, but it doesn't look anything like your house, but you know it's supposed to be the same house you live in now kind of thing. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it doesn't yeah. look like this, but it is where it was, you know. <laughs> anyway, so they're in a field, and Sherry is trying to blow up a brown balloon. She notes that everything to him is brown. She tries to hand it over to Jimmy to blow up the rest, but he doesn't grab it in time and it blows away. And that's when Sherry started to cry over it. And this seems to have made Jimmy feel really weird about her going to the party, which, you know, looking back now, I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. She wanted to, he wanted her to stay and she wanted to stay, but Daniel's impatient ass blew his horn outside several times. Like, Let's go. So she tells, you know, she tells us that she kissed him off in the forehead and left anyway, lamenting that she's glad she got to speak to him one last time before she had died. On the way to pick up Joe, Amanda mentions how she was glad to be going to the party because she was getting bored being cooped up painting in her, her bathroom all day. Something that astonishes spoiled Daniel, who's never done manual labor, it seems. Sherry defends him by saying how none of them really do that stuff because they're all rich and Amanda is the, quote, resident pauper. Something she apparently calls her all the time. I'm like, how can she think everyone thought she wasn't stuck up bitch? Right. If you say this type of stuff out loud in front of other people. Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm just this nice young lady. I'm poppers. like, you, know, like <laughs> you call this poor girl, literally a poor girl, a pauper in front of other people. Like, yeah. this is, uh, it's tacky as hell. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty horrible. That's when we get a little twist of information. Turns out Amanda and Joanne are cousins. Wah, 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 wah. Um, their mothers or sisters, other than being divorcees, they are night and day to each other. Here's another quote. Mrs. Parrish would have given me her right arm had I needed it, but Mrs. Fulton wouldn't have twisted her left wrist to let me see her watch had I asked the time. 
I'm like, damn. Yeah. This, this woman is supposed <laughs> to be silly. a quote, busy head nurse, right? That's her reasoning for it. She's too busy. I'm like, my mom was a busy head nurse for a while, but she always made time for people. That's a really shitty excuse to be rude. Yeah. You know, that's what I think about when people say New Yorkers aren't rude. They're just busy. I'm like, no, no, no. It's rude. <laughs> it's rude. <laughs> Sorry, you can take the time, a, qu a quick second to be, you know, gracious to somebody. Anyway, I digress. Mrs. Fulton thinks that her sister, Mrs. Parrish, had an affair with her ex-husband and loathes her, but seems to really like Amanda, her niece, anyway. But people be weird, yo. <laughs> Sherry goes to Joe's room, and it looks normal despite the fact that Joanne's into the occult. She likes astrology, Ouija boards, and crystals. Basically, she wants to be a witch. Sherry notices a new magnet necklace that Joe says to her, lets her, quote, talk to the universe or something. Joe also has bad taste in clothing, even though Sherry borrowed the yellow shirt and green pants she was now wearing from Joe, the one we were talking about on the cover. Also, side note, Joe calls Dan spam. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yes, and it fits him perfectly, doesn't it? It yeah, really does. That one's pretty good. <laughs> that one's pretty good. Um, Sherry picks up some papers and Joe points out that they're short stories written by an upperclassman named Peter Nichols. Um, Sherry gets this eerie feeling because Peter Nichols was dead. He got killed in a car accident or something years earlier. And I don't know, the story about Peter um, picking up, like, okay, so he at some point had told Sherry this story about he picked up a hitchhiking old man. Right. And this old man recited like Peter's life story from the age of like second grade to now. And then he told him what that, you know, that what his future would be. And, and Sherry's like, what was it? What was it? And he just kind of smiled and, and didn't really smile. He kind of grimaced and he wouldn't tell Sherry. Yeah. And I always, and you know what? We never got back to that damn story. I want to know what it was about. Yeah. There's a few things that are just kind of inserted in that just don't go anywhere and like <laughs> i don't know if it's like you know a red herring type of thing yeah you know? but yeah there, there were a few things where it's like why did we even talk about this <laughs> why did we bring this up i don't know yeah yeah i don't know filler i don't know um peter's brother jeff found the unfinished short stories that he wrote and gave them to joe to complete since she's a writer herself one is about a girl named ann who gets a magic vcr that records tomorrow's news a day early she sees a broadcast about herself, but doesn't get to see the rest because Peter never finished this fucking story. <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't know what happened. Yeah. Sherry feels weird because her middle name is Anne. She's thinking, oh, my God, Peter must have written this about me. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's like she's seeing these bad omens in hindsight now or something. And it makes you kind of wonder that, you know, you know, should I watch out for more stuff more often? I mean, I do look for signs sometimes in the universe. Do you ever do that, Kelly? Like, this is a sign. This is totally a sign. No, I don't. I don't think so. Since I'm, you know, the science dork and everything, I'm pretty much, you know, gotta see to believe. Kind of, I'm boring like saying. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I played the lottery way too much for a while, and one day I got money out, cash back at the at the store, and um, I forgot to pick it up, and I left, and I came back like a minute or two later, and it was gone. The person took it. And I was like, well, that's probably that's probably me a sign that I should stop playing the lottery. <laughs> That money was going to go to waste anyway. So, you know, so maybe that, you know, I took that kind of like a sign kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, so, so Joe gets in the back seat with Sherry and Dan is immediately annoyed about her calling him spam. They, they talk about what they got Big Beth for her birthday. And I find it all like the backstories 
to what Joe gave everybody nicknames kind of interesting. Like she calls her cousin Amanda Bliss because Ananda means bliss in Indian Sanskrit. Yeah. And it's close to Amanda. So she's like, I'll call her Bliss. I'm like, that's not a good nickname for Amanda at all. <laughs> and just like as a side note, Ananda is also like a CBD company that makes like CBD lube. <laughs> That's probably more accurate, actually. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess Bliss goes along with that too. Yeah, think I think that it. that's the the brand. <laughs> it's like a Bliss or why. something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't ask how I know that. <laughs> I won't. I'll let you keep that little secret. You'll be like Peter, not finishing your stories. Um, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so next, Joe tells Dan to slow down while driving. He says he always drives fast like this. And Joe asks Jerry, is he always this fast? And Sherry replies, always. And then Joe starts to laugh, always. <laughs> and <laughs> Sherry just knows that Dan knows she told Joe about this mishap in bed. And I'm like, eee! I'm cringing because Dan just, you know, just feels like a psychopath. Like he's waiting to snap. Yeah. I'm like, oh, God, she can feel the heat. Like, <laughs> So ooh, when they get there, it's clear that Dan is overtly flirting with Big Beth, like over the top, who is just so cheery and sweet to everyone. It seems annoying. Sherry notes that besides having big boobs, Beth is nothing much to look at. She's pretty. She's pretty plain. She's smart in school, but acts dumb for the boys. And it seems to work. This seems to irk Sherry to no end. Beth also has a boyfriend, Jeff Eccles or Nichols. The, you know, is it Eccles or Nichols? Uh, Nichols, I think. Nichols. I think I wrote Eccles here. Jeff Nichols, who's Peter, the late Peter, uh, his younger brother. So the entire night, Sherry watches Beth flirt with Dan while Joe watches Beth flirt with Jeff. Which is like, Beth, you're a whore. <laughs> like, sorry, girl. Anyway, sorry about it. Um, I should note that we find out that Beth lives in the top floor of a four-story condominium overlooking the ocean. Hence the book cover. Her father helped construct the building, so it's very soundproof, which I think, I mean, you make that statement, it's kind of like, hmm, uh, we need to know. Yeah. Seems like that might be crucial information. And I have a question for you, Kelly. In high school, did you think 11 p.m. was early for a party to be thinning out? Well. Because Sherry sure does. Yeah. Well, we were delinquents, so we partied all night. <laughs> I almost choked. <laughs> We were so bad, but I was really smart. So my curfew was like an hour before I had to be at school. So we would oh, pop wow. in like at six o'clock in the morning. And as long as I went to school, nobody said anything. As long as you turned up at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't really have a curfew, but I didn't really stay out. I wasn't one to ever really stay up too late. I mean, I would, you know, I'd go over to a friend's house. We'd spend the night. We'd stay up all night, that kind of thing. But I didn't really stay out unless I was like spending the night at somebody's house, you know? We might stay up a little bit, maybe till like midnight or so. Oh, God, we were awful. We were always at the bar. We were always Damn. like going with random people. I'm surprised we didn't get like murdered. Well, one of my friends worked at the supermarket and he would like steal Zimas and stuff. And like we would drink all those, you know, or, and, um, we loved us some Zimas back in the day. And, uh, and he would sometimes he, we would go across the state line and there was this one liquor store that would sell to kids, not even checking IDs. Oh, yeah. So we would buy stuff there. I didn't, but he did. So every so often, you know, stuff like that happened. I remember our graduation. Let me tell you this. Our graduation, he had bought some liquor from that store and he was like, Hey, I made us jello shots, right? And I'm like, Oh, cool. We got jello shots. And then he comes out of the house. He's like, Oh, we're going to go, we're going to go find a party. We didn't have a party. We didn't have any invite. 
but we're just going to find a party and crash it with jello shots. So who would, you know, say you can't come in. <laughs> he comes out with two pot, with two like cake pans filled with jello. I'm like, where are the jello shots? He was like, oh, I couldn't find any Dixie cups anywhere. So he made full on jello and we're riding around. He didn't have any clean spoons. So we're riding around with forks eating <laughs> jello from cake pans. And they're running. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not feeling drunk. I'm just feeling sick. You know why? Because he mixed several different flavors of Jello together and made this. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with Brown? <laughs> yes, it was disgusting. I was like, I'm really getting sick to my stomach. I'm like, oh, I want to get drunk, but I'm getting sick to my stomach. And we're driving around. It was ho- it was horrible. It was freaking horrible. I don't know. Anyway, so Beth opens her presents, which Sherry thinks Beth is an idiot for believing that the specimen jars Joe stole from her mother's work were real crystal. Dan also hurt Sherry by giving Beth diamond earrings. I'm like, ouch, that is a burn. If any, I've ever seen one. Yeah. Yeah. That's she needs to go visit bad. Joe's mom in the burn unit. Um, Beth then announces that they should go swimming in the pool downstairs. A fact that Beth blatantly neglected to tell Sherry and Joe to bring their bathing suits. Hmm. It makes you wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff stays behind with uh, Joe and Sherry brooding and drinking beer. Sherry tries to encourage Joe to go talk to him since his girlfriend is downstairs, but she seems hesitant. So Sherry ends up going out on the balcony with him as he broods some more while smoking a cigarette. Better quit while you're ahead, kid. Just quit. Quit. <laughs> anyway, he's a man of few words, that's for sure. She asks him if he likes Dan, and he says he's okay for an asshole. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I like this guy. Just the fact that he said that. That's when Sherry lashes out because she's like, oh, that's my boyfriend. She's like, you're an asshole. And he's like, okay. He doesn't care. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and then she calls Beth an asshole too. And Jeff says, well, Beth's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, definitely not too good. She's definitely too good for him, for Dan. And he doesn't finish the thought, but he doesn't say Dan. He says definitely good, too good for him. But we know he's talking about Dan. And he that's has, his girlfriend, but he really doesn't give a shit enough about her to like fight for her or anything. But he yeah. does say that she's He's like, whatever. Mm, yeah. <laughs> why am I even here? I mean, did you even bring a present? That's what I'm thinking. But, you know, we know he's talking about Dan. Anyway, Mike, it's bad. You know, I, is it bad that I think I kind of miss the simplicity of high school drama a little bit? Just a little bit? Like, <laughs> it's cut and dry. Like, boom. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think I have the energy to do it again. <laughs> Not now. Yeah. <laughs> like then you had tons of energy. But I would I would love to have the, that energy, but the know-all now for what I have now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. Know. So then Sherry gets mean with him. She goes, you know, Jeff, you're just a shallow jerk compared to your brother. And I'm like, oh, damn. Jeff turns to her and tells her how Pierre would talk about her. But all he could see was a girl with her head stuck up her ass. I'm like, preach, brother. Preach. She really does. He leaves her on the balcony to go talk with Joe in the kitchen. And this is noted that she has two hours left to live. So Ghost Sherry laments some more about life before death and how we should, you know, we all when we have one body and we see things from one angle, not everybody else's perspective, blah, 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 blah. She remembers going into Beth's room and laying down on the bed with a headache. She dozes off for a few and is awakened by Amanda who tells her that most everyone is gone, but she just saw Dan and Beth in the jacuzzi together naked and making out. Sherry gets upset as one would, but it seems she's more upset because Dan's super hot and would do superficial things for her like buying her things and taking her places. You know, it's the only reason 
And I'm like, oh, to be young again. Amanda leaves Sherry alone to cry. Dan and Beth return, and it seems it's just them, Sherry, Jeff, Joe, and Amanda left at the party. She says, sad six, one short of lucky seven. I'm like, ooh, bad omen right there. <laughs> Sherry doesn't say a word about anything Amanda told her earlier. Joe brings out her mystic magnet, her magnet that she had, the necklace she had earlier, and says she wants to talk to the universe, but then goes on to say she learned a, a Taoism technique to listen to the body for health problems. I'm like, that's what she says. I'm like, I'm confused. What? But whatever. You do you, Joe. <laughs> so Christopher Pike loves to put in these super supernatural elements into his books a lot. And, you know, the premise is that someone, in this case, Big Beth, lies on the ground with a magnet under their head and gets asked a yes or no question. If the answer is yes, their hips will shift and one leg will appear longer than the other. <laughs> I can see that, I guess. Sherry keeps making underheaded comments about everything that's going on. Which is hilarious she, also. <laughs> she does. No one's noticing. She's like, no one notices these things. But when you know, she said she seems to have her hips worked on. She, she says Beth seems to have her hips worked on regularly. And she yeah. and Dan meet eyes and have this. I know what you did stare like this stare down. That seems really intense. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> no one pays attention until that comment. She's like, she seems to have her hips worked on regularly. I'm like, damn. Yeah, it, it, it's so funny and, like, so catty. I just loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so they continue with this magnet thing. And Beth said that she feels funny the second they put the magnet under her head. Something that seems curious to Joe and to me. Dan sure asks a lot of questions about his own fortune and destiny, narcissist. Amanda takes a turn and silently asks a lot of questions. And Jeff ends up asking philosophical stuff like, is there a God? It says yes, but God isn't what we imagine, blah, blah, blah. He goes into, is there someone in the afterlife answering these questions? It's obviously he's talking. It's obvious he's talking about his dead brother, Peter, which is sad. But maybe that's why Beth feels so weird. Maybe. Yeah. So Jeff wants more answers other than yes or no. So Joe says she can put someone in a trance to channel whatever spirit they're talking to. She chooses Sherry because it has to be someone she's known for a long time which I'm with Sherry. Why not choose Amanda, your own cousin? Yeah. <laughs> You've known her your whole life for sure. Yeah. So Sherry says yes, just to humor them. They have to wake Beth up because she seems to be in her own little trance and she comes to and her eyes are all glossed over or whatever. It's weird. I don't know. They turn off all the lights and light a red candle. Sherry instinctively doesn't like this. Now, I read online that red candles represent blood, sex, fertility, and courage. So I don't know. I don't know something about maybe the blood part, I guess. Yeah. That's probably why it's bad. Joe says that they should remember how to play the dead girl game, which is like a warped version of light as a feather, stiff as a board. But they pretend the girl is dead and they are prepping her for a funeral, acting all solemn and sad. I'm like, this is morbid as fuck. This is um, straight out of Empire Records. <laughs> I know. That's what I was saying. That's what I was about to say. It's just like when they had that funeral, they're like, oh, here we are today, you know, and she died and we're really sad. We're going to miss her. I'm like, this is really weird. I, would, I don't know how it, even at Empire Records, like, I don't know how it would feel laying there with people talking around me and I'm supposed to pretend I'm dead. It just feels like I'm getting set up for something. I feel like people would be like way nicer knowing that you could hear them. And yes. <laughs> I would be like, you liar. You think I'm a bitch. Or something. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So Joe 
tells Sherry to breathe slowly and let her heartbeat slow down. Sherry's headache finally diminishes, and she starts to fall into a trance. Then everyone in the room basically says a eulogy about Sherry being dead, besides Beth, who she thinks has an entity in her biting her tongue. Like, this is kind of twisted, I guess. Um, and also, Dan just, like, referred to her, like, <clears throat> as a friend, right? Like, she was yes. my friend. <laughs> she was my friend, and they're all like, what? <laughs> they look at her like, what the fuck? Anyway. So that's when Joe asks, who are you? And someone else using Sherry's voice says that she is basically a ghost of an 18 year old that died a long time ago. That's when the group has this like big commotion and thinking it's Peter's ghost. And then the candle gets knocked over and Sherry instantly snaps out of the trance with Dan accusing her of faking it. Like that was you, you were saying all that stuff, right? Because he's an asshole. Yeah. So Sherry feels cold with an overwhelming sense of loneliness. The only one who notices is Amanda, who's cleaning the red candle wax off of the floor. Then Sherry decides to go outside on the balcony for some fresh air. She says she doesn't feel she, you know, she's fine. She's out there for a minute, but she doesn't feel like she was pushed, but rather lifted up as high as the rooftop, staring at the sky and feeling disoriented. Then all of a sudden she falls to the ground below, seeing the stars becoming multicolored, then all red before she dies. I'm like, damn, this kind of sounded like a spirit picked her up or something and just like threw her, you know? So Sherry wakes up in her bedroom. She feels weird. She doesn't really remember leaving the party. She opens her bedroom door and notices everything has been made kind of hazy, but brighter by some strange vapor in the air. After she checks in on her sleeping brother, she follows her parents' voices into the kitchen. She says hi, but they don't seem to notice her. She grabs a chair, but it won't move, so she ends up sitting in an open seat on the other side of the room. Her parents are dressed to the nines and gossiping about her father's business business contacts when they get the call. And this has to be gut-wrenching to find out that your kid died, right? Oh, yeah. So Sherry doesn't know what's going on, but her mother collapses, dropping a plate of chocolate cake on the floor that she'd been eating. Her father takes the phone and receives the news. All the while, Sherry keeps asking, what's going on? You know, what's going on? She's completely oblivious to her own demise. She's, they aren't acknowledging her that she, you know, that she's even there. They go get her brother Jimmy up and head out to the hospital, leaving Sherry behind. She can't even open the door to leave. And I think that would be a pretty big clue about what's going on with me. But so, but they, they don't actually leave yet. They come back in really quick and she's able to slip out with them and into the car as the brother drives them to the hospital. And I'm like, what a way to wake up. Poor Jimmy, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, side note. I, I realized that she mentions they're going to Newport Memorial Hospital. And that's when I realized that they're in Orange County, California, Newport Beach, oh. <laughs> where the OC took place. Oh, because it- I... Yeah, that's I've been there. I went to Newport Beach. Um, I had a friend take me been. there because I wanted to. I wanted to see where the OC took place. <laughs> I, I've never been to California. Uh, the farthest oh, really? west I've been is Colorado. You should go. It's fun. It's a fun place to go. Um, you know, especially if you make friends out there or something like that. That's what I did. I went out there like three times. I think I had. I knew some people who moved out there, and then I also made some friends. So, um, it's a fun time. Fuck my work life is out there. <laughs> I'll make them show me around. Yeah. There you go. We can do that. Let's all plan a trip and go yeah. see fuck my work life. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We just volunteered you for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when they get there, they're led down to the morgue with Dr. Leeds. Sherry and her family are in serious denial if they don't know what all of this means. Like, they're like, like, why are we going down here? I'm like, duh. 
Yeah. I mean, duh, you're in the morgue. It's Sherry, always in the same place. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. it's not, they didn't have all the rooms filled up. This is not COVID season. This is, yeah. there's a reason you're in the morgue. Sherry really doesn't get it when her mother says, not my baby or something to Jim about his sister. I mean, come on, Sherry, pick up on these not so subtle hints. They want to see her body, but the doctor warns us, warns them against it because she fell head first, four stories down on the concrete. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. Still, they insist when they start to uncover the body, all Sherry can think of is how messed up the girl's hair is, wondering what shampoo you, she used. I'm like, what the fuck, girl? Get it together, Sherry. She sees herself all stiff and blue. She sees how beautiful she actually is or was. She finally starts to remember the fall to her death. This is when she starts to talk about the stages of grief that people go through after a loved one passes. She says that she's feeling what she is feeling is much worse since she's the one who's dead, though the denial phase seems to be fully intact right now. Her brother and parents part ways at the hospital. The policemen take the parents home as Jimmy decides to drive to Beth's house. Sherry is down with this idea, thinking it will somehow prove that the girl who was at the morgue was obviously on the slab. Excuse me, I said that wrong. <laughs> the girl the girl who was obviously on the slab of the morgue wasn't her, obviously, or whatever. I don't know how to say it, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. However, on the way to Beth's, she sees something else she describes as horrible. Her strong brother pulls over, breaks down, and cries. And I couldn't imagine seeing my brother do this. This would just tear me up. It's only by watching him sob that she fully feels the weight that she's actually dead. They get to Beth's, and she misses the chance to follow Jimmy inside because he shuts the car door on her. She climbs out and waits for some somebody to go through, and she sees this low-life-looking guy in a blue truck go through the gate. He's drinking and everything, and um, she follows him in. And, I mean, he's been drinking heavily out of a flask and popping breath mints like there's no tomorrow. He finally ends up going in and goes all the way to Beth's apartment. This is where we find out that he's the detective assigned to the case, Lieutenant Garrett. So, yeah, so he's all like the, the stereotypical, like, bad cop that is also like the super genius cop who's going to figure yeah. everything out. He is. He is. He's perfect. I love it. Um, all the kids are still there, and now Jimmy, too. And I found it really inappropriate that Dan and Beth were seated together on the love seat. Like, have some respect, you bastards. Like, yeah. you know? Anyway. Just tacky. <laughs> it's really tacky. No yeah. tooth whatsoever. Yeah. So the story Garrett is told by the other officers that Sherry got upset at the seance and decided to jump off the balcony. <laughs> I don't like this. I'm going to jump. <laughs> like, what? Thankfully, Jimmy knows better and tells him that she'd never do that. Garrett seems to regard this, asking the officers to leave him with the kids for further questioning. He lets Jimmy stay. Officer Fort sort of fights him on this, but Sherry starts to to take a liking to Garrett after he seems to want to investigate this further instead of simply saying it's a suicide. So the kids tell him the events of what happened at the seance and that Sherry jumped up, went through the kitchen and into the balcony for a few minutes before she quote jumped. They all had left the living room after she'd left the living room. And this is where we're going to get into this like little murder mystery noir thing. So Amanda was first to leave stating she went to Beth's bathroom, which Beth's room connects to the same balcony. But she says she didn't see anything in the few minutes that she was there. The balcony door was closed. And I love how Jeff just lights up a cigarette in the middle of his. It's like such the bad boy stereotype, you know? I'm going to light up the cigarette and here I go. I'm going to start telling you my story. 
Jeff says that he left the living room after Amanda to use the bathroom as well. He tried Beth's, but Amanda was in there and he did see Sherry on the balcony, but he couldn't see past the wall that's between the kitchen and the bedroom. And he also confirms the balcony door was closed. He used Beth's parents' bathroom instead before returning to the living room to find Amanda alone with the magazine. Beth has been crying the whole time, right? Sherry thinks that that's nice that she's crying for her, even though Beth is still a slut. <laughs> she was like, that's really nice, but you're still a slut. Oh. <laughs> Beth says she left a little behind Jeff, you know, when he was living the living room. She went into her bedroom for no particular reason, but didn't see Jeff in there or, you know, or see him leaving to use her parents' bathroom. So she was just a little bit behind him. He went in there, came out, went across, and then she went to the bedroom. But she did notice someone was in the bathroom, in her bedroom. She also says the balcony door was closed. However, she stepped out onto the balcony, but she didn't see Sherry out there, just Joanne. Lieutenant Garrett takes a second to confirm that the sliding doors in the balcony in Beth's room and the kitchen lock automatically when someone closes the door. Joanne says she went onto the balcony after Beth left the room. She tells Garrett that she had told the others to leave Sherry alone for a few minutes to clear her head. In the meantime, Amanda cleaned up the candle and went to the bathroom, and then Joe and Dan put furniture back and turned on the lights and the stereo to the medium volume. She says she went out onto the balcony, and Beth was already out there. She says Daniel came out from Beth's bedroom behind Beth, putting his arm around her. He was one of the ones that looked down to see Sherry. He was the first one to look down and see Sherry on the ground below. So this is all kind of confusing because you're like, oh, who went first? Who went next? You know, like that. So I don't expect the audience to follow that. It's okay. You didn't follow it. It's all right. The whole gist is Amanda was in the bathroom. Everybody tried to go to the bathroom, but they couldn't go into Beth's bathroom. Somebody, you know, some people, you know, Jeff saw Sherry on the balcony, but no one else did. And now there's a discrepancy of whether or not Beth went out of the balcony and saw Joanne out there already, or if Joe went out of the balcony and saw Beth there already. Right. That's basically the gist. Yeah. And the whole time, Detective Garrett is like diagramming this because he's super cop. Yes, he is. He's like, uh huh. You know, Jimmy is being silent the entire time, think, you know, taking it all in as Amanda holds on to him and caresses his arms. You know. Last but not least, Dan says his relationship with Beth was that she was a with um Sherry. Wait, I'm really confused now. <laughs> there's so much going on. Yeah, I'm drinking too much. There's too much. <laughs> Sorry, Dan says his relationship with is with Beth is that she's just a friend. And this just, you know, no, she said he says this about Sherry. He says Sherry was just a friend because it pisses Joanne off because Sherry was Dan's girlfriend as far as everyone else knew. Yeah. Garrett hearing this discord says, Am I investigating a murder or a suicide here? And Dan says it's a suicide because Sherry must have jumped as far as everyone there is concerned. My like, huh. Hmm. Anyway, so Dan says that they were about to break up and that he had told Sherry he wanted to see other girls, which Sherry confirms is an outright lie. He's like, you fucking liar. He never broke up with her. Dan says he went into Beth's bedroom, but Amanda must have been in the bathroom because he could hear the water running. He saw Amanda exit the bathroom as he went out onto the balcony to find Beth and Joe just looking out. Neither were looking down. That's when he looked down to see Sherry's body on the ground below. They all ran inside to get Jeff and Amanda, who had turned the music off because it was giving Amanda a headache, and they called the paramedics. So Lieutenant Garrett repeats back their statements to them. The big discrepancy, like I said before, was whether Beth was on the balcony before Joe or if Joe was out there before Beth. That's something Garrett notices because Dan and Joe left the living room at the same time, just a minute after Beth did. If Beth 
hung out in her room for a few minutes before going to the balcony, then she wasn't alone in there for long, and Joe was on the balcony before her. The lieutenant asks Dan if he and Beth are dating, and he says they're just good friends. Like, yeah. uh-huh. Everybody's friends here. You know? Sherry calls out to Amanda to tell Garrett about the hot tub scene she witnessed, but Amanda says nothing. And I'm like, that freaking bitch better speak up. She doesn't. Garrett says that from the sequence of events, Sherry must have jumped off after Jeff left the bedroom, but before Beth entered the bedroom, he asks, but no one heard Sherry scream. No one heard it. Even Sherry thinks she wouldn't have had time to scream because it was only four stories and it's not that long of a drop. But she's starting to realize that someone did push her, which I find weird since she, you know, said that she felt lifted up. Yeah. And she even mentioned that at one point that the balcony railing was really high on her because she's short, just like Joanne. They're both short. So I thought, huh, that seems kind of weird. How would she be pushed off? She had to have been picked up and, you know, thrown almost. He dismisses everyone and tells Beth and her family that the apartment is off limits for the night because he's got to take a look around. As Jimmy and Amanda are the last to leave, Jimmy declares that Sherry couldn't have killed herself. She had no reason to, though they don't have information to suggest she was murdered by someone there either. Sherry stays behind with Garrett. He's now alone and he starts to drink from a bottle of scotch he finds in the the cabinet. I'm kind of with Sherry. She's like, she says, come on, Garrett, give me a break. You're on duty. Yeah. <laughs> He's a drunk ass. Like, my God. It is a thief. It's their booze. <laughs> I know, but I guess whatever. He proceeds to drink half the bottle. Um, next, he sees the candle wax on the floor and some weird orange chalky substance. And then he draws the layout of the condo, which I will have a picture up on my Instagram account at Dustin can read. So you can go there. And you can check it out and see the diagram. I took a picture of it from the book. Garrett leaves and goes downstairs to the spot that Sherry's body had landed. She sees him pull out a picture of what is presumably his daughter who most likely died or something. She doesn't know. As he gets really sullen and sad, she starts to feel really bad for him. He leaves shortly after that and Sherry gets curious. Unlike trying to grab the doorknob or hug her brother earlier, when she reaches down, she actually has some of her own blood on her fingers. And then she gets a pain in her head, but she, when she tries to reach up to touch it, someone, her hand gets getting pushed down by someone. And then suddenly she finds herself back in the morgue with Dr. Leeds again. She's just, boom, she's back in the morgue. He's putting her arms inside of a green bag as he zips her up and shoves her into a cold locker. And I'm getting all kinds of claustrophobic, just like, oh my God, no, 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 no. No. Anyway. But then the next thing she knows, she's back on the walkway next to the condo, but she's not alone. She says this is the first time that she notices the shadow. Who knows what darkness lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Sorry, it's old timey humor. Um, (laughs) She feels creeped out by it because it's watching her and it starts to follow her. She starts to run, and it starts to chase after her, and it gains on her fast. Out of the complex, across the highway, straight to the ocean. It reaches out to her. It's going, Sherry. And she starts to call out for her mother. She's like, Mother, help me. Help me. Somebody help me. Mother, mother. And she's freaked, as I would be. Then instantly, she's with her mother, who's crying in bed, in the dark, you know, saying Sherry's name over and over. Sherry grabs her and says that she's there, and her mother seems to calm down. They both fall asleep. And I'm like, whew, what do we think so far, Kelly? 
I'm, I'm interested in it. Like, I, I want to know who did it at this point. Um, I'm still kind of mad at pretty much everybody. And I think they're all <laughs> terrible people. <laughs> they are. They're all pretty mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, really I weird. definitely want to know who did it at, at this point. And, like, the ID watcher in me is like, Dad did it. Because <laughs> he's the boyfriend. <laughs> That's where you, yeah. I don't know if he's yeah. the red herring or not, right? That's what I was thinking. Because it <laughs> seems it's a little always, too obvious. It's always the boyfriend or the husband. <laughs> yeah. It screams right that it's always the boyfriend, right? So Sherry says she awakens in Amanda's bedroom or at Amanda's house or whatever. She's not sure. You know, she's doing a lot of jumping around. And Mrs. Parrish and Amanda are prepping to go to Sherry's funeral, which seems to be happening too fast for Sherry. I'm like, I imagine it would. And then, so apparently it's days later, obviously. She wakens up. Lo and behold, Joe and her mother, Mrs. Fulton, who, remember, does not get along with her own sister, Mrs. Parrish. They sh- shows up, you know, because Mrs. Parrish apparently slept with Mr. Fulton. This yeah. Is the, the story. And they show up to take them all to the funeral. Joe's tacky style is very evident because she's wearing all orange. Again, I'm on Sherry's side. This isn't fucking Halloween, Joe. Dress appropriately. It doesn't have to be all black, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> have some, you know. It was funny that, you know, that this came out because she's like the occult chick that always wears black, but for the funeral, she's wearing orange. So I'm like, is this them trying to point out that she's not really sad about, you know, <laughs> yeah, her night? I know like, is it trying to point at her? Like, woohoo, I'm happy and sunshine and orange. I should have <laughs> looked up what orange means, you know, to come to think of it. Maybe orange means something, you know, I don't know. You know, because orange and black is Halloween. That's about the day, de- you know, death and everything at Halloween, death coming back. So maybe the orange means something to do with like, I don't know. Maybe. I need to look it up. But if that you never know, came, leave up, us a comment. came up again either. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's another thing where it's just like they put it out there and it didn't really mean anything or go anywhere. <laughs> I know. It's just kind of strange. So on the way to the funeral, Sherry sits b- between Joe and Amanda. She notes that now that she's dead, she can stare directly at the sun which has an aura of purple around it. I'm like, hmm, that's neat. But I think I'll wait to find out if this thing is true. (laughs) When they get to the chapel at the cemetery, Sherry is not only disappointed to see not any other ghosts, but there's hardly anyone from school there either. And this is like one of my biggest fears in the afterlife that no one will care that I'm gone. You know, it's kind of scary. You're like, oh, man. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Hopefully you find out if it happens. I don't want it to happen. But if you do, I hope you find out and you can warn me. Um, <laughs> a little morbid to know. We were talking she about this did. the other day, and my sister wants like her obituary announcement to go to like a Rick Roll. <laughs> so everybody gets Rick Rolled when they oh click God. on her announcement. So when they click on it, like never gonna give you up. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> so Sherry notices a guy about her age sitting alone in a in baggy white shorts and a red t-shirt and appreciates that he came even though she doesn't recognize him. She's like, "Really at my funeral? What's that about?" She wonders if he had loved her from afar. I'm like, "Oh, Sherry, whatever." As she tunes out the service, she notices Mrs. Paris saying her own prayers on her rosary, and it kind of calls to Sherry and it calms her. It makes her feel a sense of joy in a way. A white light starts to engulf her, and then suddenly it just stops, and she's, like, crushed because the service is over, and it just stops. And that's when she's disappointed more happened, like, you know, um, Joe was playing. You know, no one played her favorite song, 
like her, apparently her favorite song is Stairway to Heaven, which I would have not expected. No, not, not at all. That does not fit at all. I know. I'm like, really? I mean, I would have thought like a modern pop song or something, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like a, Cindy Lauper or something. Song. Well, I was thinking more like Kesha. <laughs> well, this was 89. So oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. it came out something and well, originally came out. So yeah, I can say, yeah, Kesha. Yeah. <laughs> don't stop. Make it drop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the vibe I can't, but way of the future for these folks i can't <laughs> have a little this place about to blow no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so she wanted to hear more people talk about her basically and she wanted to be remembered she though she admits she didn't do much to be remembered for which you know again makes me sad for the same reasons i said before it's making me think about all the things like i should be doing to be remembered i guess so the graveside service happens it's over they bury her quickly, she notes, and Sherry is torn the fuck up about it. She's pleading for the grave diver to just stop, stop burying me, stop it, that she didn't have enough time. And soon they're done and they're gone. And But she's not alone for long. The guy in the shorts and the red t-shirt shows up, and then she looks up at him. She goes from sad to angry all of a sudden. She's just like, you know, go to hell. Just yells at him, <laughs> go to hell. And he's like, we're already there, wouldn't you say, Sherry? And holy shit, it's Peter Nichols. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> she instantly, oh my God, Peter. And she hugs him. And she's like, she's relieved that she can hug somebody finally. He's surprised that she even remembers him. And she's like, of course I do. And, you know, in my opinion, it pretty much sounds like she had a crush on him at one point. Too. Yeah. And, you know, that he had one on her and they just didn't know. And it's so yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, he, she starts to grill him about the afterlife. Like, is there a God? Is God a he or a she? And Peter just gives this answer. This is a good quote. These are deep questions, and I don't have a lot of deep answers for, for you. From what I've been able to tell, everything's much simpler than we used to think. It's so simple, you can't even talk about it. God just is. He exists. He's everything. He's us. We are him. And at this point, I would, you know, I would delve into my own philosophical thought process on God and the afterlife, but I'll save that for another day because we got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. <laughs> so Peter continues on to say that he's there to help Sherry as long as she wants him to help. He said he didn't help before because she didn't ask for it. Then goes on to quote the Bible about, you know, if you know the door, you know, knock and the door shall be opened or something like that, whatever. Um, she figures out that you know, she called out for help and the shadow was chasing her. And, you know, Peter answered because he was quote available, whatever that means. Peter then tells her that she can't stay here. She needs to concentrate on the light and go there where she'll be forever happy. Sherry keeps asking him questions though, mainly about who killed her. And if she goes into the light, will she know then he doesn't answer. He doesn't know who killed her, but he also tells her that there was, he was there at that party that night for a little while as well as other places before he left a few minutes before her demise is what he says. And this all feels a little convenient. Like I'm thinking, did Peter take over her body? Does he know more than what he's saying? You know, detective Dustin wants answers. Damn it. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. You could tell I've been drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm thinking, yeah, he had taken over her body cause we had seen that. And I don't think she was faking that, but yeah. I don't know why he just like left after that. Maybe because he startled her or they, you know, dropped the Why is he so damn what? vague? That's what pisses me off. He's yeah. so vague about so much. He keeps being vague later on too. 
So he tells her that wherever she focuses her attention, she can go there. Like with all the jumping around she's been doing, she asks if she was meant to die. And he says, yes, because nothing happens by accident. He goes on to explain, it's like a bank loan. You have to pay back your loan, but how fast you pay it back is determined by you. She's like, but the bank foreclosed on my house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's a weird discussion, but it makes sense kind of. Yeah. (laughs) He urges her again to forget about trying to find out who her killer is and because she can't do anything about it anyway. He said that she really needs to leave or the shadow will catch up to her. This is the first time she's really hearing about the shadow and he's going to trap her. It's like the devil in a way, or so he says. He says he's making she's making a mistake by staying, but she thinks she can communicate with the living somehow. He gives in. He's like, all right, fine. I'll help you out for a little while. So they start going over the facts. Sherry says out of everyone, she thinks Amanda is the least trustworthy because she's so soft spoken. She hasn't liked her since, you know, he, she started dating Jimmy. And Peter calls out, you know, you know, you're a little jealous, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, a little incestuous there. You know, because yeah. earlier she was admiring her brother's body. It was a bit ew, you know, yeah. like, um, what's going on here? Yeah, they no, I, I bit- agree. And caught on to that throughout. I'm like, Let's, I don't have brothers, but I'm thinking that I probably wouldn't have that kind of relationship with them if I did. One would hope. One would yeah. hope. <laughs> it doesn't seem natural to me at all. Yeah. So they, they talk a little bit more about Dan possibly doing it, you know, killing her before Sherry asks if Peter had, you know, ever been around the group since he passed away. And he flat out admits he's watched her in the shower once before. And I'm like, Okay, I guess when you're dead, it really doesn't really matter. But damn, Peter's got balls. Like, yeah, I watched you in the shower. Like, also, I thought it was funny. Her response, well, not her response, but kind of her thinking to herself that she was flattered. And I was like, that is another dude thing to write. Because we can get dudes to look at us naked anytime we want to. It's not, I mean, it's not flattering, you know, that a dude wants to look yeah. at you naked. You know, that's he even asked, like, how do I look? And he was like, you were fine. And I'm like, really? Yeah. I was like, once again, dude, rotten this. Because, yeah. So they discuss the party further and everyone's stories. He says it could have been Joe, which makes, you know, her mad. And she says, well, it could have been Jeff, Peter's brother, which makes him a little defensive as well. I'm like, she's guys, chill the fuck out. Like, stop going at each other. But they go ahead and apologize to each other and he starts talking about the, the diagram that Garrett wrote. And he says, it seems that the dotted X that he wrote behind Sherry on the balcony um, could mean that someone was hiding b- behind her just out of view of anyone else who was looking out of the balcony. But who? That's when Peter suggests it could have been more than one person who did it. And like they corroborated their stories of what happened. And that's when Sherry realizes, what if it was all of them? I'm like, you must have been one hell of a bitch to all these kids if they all wanted you dead, girlfriend. Like, damn. Like, what weren't you telling us that you were doing? Peter decides to teach Sherry some stuff about being a ghost. Lesson one, teleporting. Thinking about where you want to be and really wanting yourself to be there. And she practices for about a half an hour, but nothing happens. So lesson two, he shows her, you know, he can fly as well. He says, you just have to unlearn the rules of the living and let yourself float. Basically. This all kind of sounds like flying in a dream, you know, I've done it so often. Like I just kick my legs back and like not fall. And then I just start swimming through the air. I kind of, you know, move my arms up like that, kind of flat my arms a little bit. Like I'm swimming through the air. Do you ever fly in your dreams, Kelly? I don't ever 
really remember my dreams that often or like I remember like when I (laughs) at my last job like apparently I was so stressed I used to dream about work all the time like I would I I would dream that I was in trouble or I would dream that I hadn't done something and then Mm -hmm. I would wake up and still be freaked out about it and then be like no none of this is happening right now but I hate that yeah, I hate for when the, you can't you can't even escape work in your dreams. I hate that. Yeah, I've done I, that too. I don't have that now. Like my job is much better now. But <laughs> yeah, well, if you had to escape work and you're you're like I got to get out of the house. <laughs> I can't get the fuck out of the house. Yeah. Anyway, so you know Peter also tells her that the ether around them can be formed into like objects and stuff, like anything they want. He demonstrates this when he hands her an aspirin and water after she nails her shin trying to practice walking through a park bench. <laughs> She's like, ow. I'm like, you don't actually feel that pain. You're just, you're, you're thinking you feel that pain. And she's like, I feel the pain. <laughs> like, no, no, you don't. Here's some aspirin and water. Yeah, you know. I'm going to manifest aspirin. <laughs> I thought that was weird. I was like, that's strange. So they end up taking a bus to Dan's house and walk in on Spam and Big Beth making out. Yep. Presumably about to get it on. And Peter kind of, yeah, they are. There's like a little bouchic wow wow action going on. That's when Peter kind of rubs it in. <laughs> I'm like, dude, dude, like, she's just been buried. I'm like, it's kind of a tactless remark, but it is honest. Sherry is livid. She wants to hurt them so badly. And I honestly thought that when she said that, that she was going to, she says something like she wants to stuff these ant- apples in the kitchen down their throats. I thought maybe she was going to get like some kind of way to pick them up and do it, but it didn't happen. I was kind of hoping though. Um, yeah, there isn't as much cat fighting as you would think there would be in, the, in this would, book. Yeah, I want it to happen so bad. I want it to have to fly across the room and scare people, but it didn't happen. Yeah. It made me mad. So Lieutenant Garrett shows up, and he's looking like shit again. I mean, he looks a little better, but he still looks crappy. And asks them if they pushed Sherry off the balcony. Like, flat out, did you push her off the balcony? And they're like, what? And they deny. He even says something to the fact that they and the others could have helped corroborate their story. I'm like, damn. It's glad to know that this guy has a good head on his shoulders as far as the detective work goes. I mean, besides the drinking. At least he has his good head on his shoulders. He's really thinking about this. He interrogates the shit out of them in a short time span. Dan gets pissed off, of course, saying that they don't have to answer these questions. And it seems Garrett has enough answers for now. But just before he leaves, he reaches over and pulls the open condom wrapper from Dan's shirt pocket and says, you may think you're practicing safe sex, son, but you're not even close. <laughs> I'm like, what's that remark about? I'm like, this he's a baller. Like, <laughs> might drop, you know, like, damn. So... Beth immediately starts crying because she realizes how horrible it is for her to be with Dan just after Sherry's funeral and even asks Dan why, you know, why was he acting like he barely knew Sherry? Because Dan's a horny sociopath girl. Yeah. (laughs) He's, you know, he's a terrible person. (laughs) He's horrible. She ends up leaving and Sherry follows Dan upstairs and is surprised, as am I, to see him crying over her prom photo just before he just hurls it across the room and buries his face in a pillow. I'm like, whoa, he actually kind of feels something. That's interesting. But still so childish throw in a tantrum. You it know? is, but I mean, I can understand that. You're grieving somebody, it's okay to throw a little tantrum. You know what I mean? Somebody died. I, that's fine for me. So Sherry rejoins Peter and they hop into the back of Garrett's truck as, you know, he's noting Beth's hasty departure. Then they're off to watch him interrogate more of the party kids. 
In the meantime, Sherry asks about Peter's death. And like Sherry, he knew right away he was dead and that it had been his fault for driving his motorcycle carelessly. But he won't elaborate further. He, she's like, what do you mean? He's like, nothing. And I'm like, say it. Anyway, so they end up seeing Jeff, Peter's brother, next. Jeff gives the lieutenant a beer as he is questioned. The lieutenant tries to slip him up about the events of the night with some rapid fire questions almost. But Jeff, you know, he's like, no, uh, whatever. He's pretty cool about it. Jeff says, you know, I had a couple of beers, maybe three you know, at the party. And I broke up with Beth that night because dating her had, quote, gotten old. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I bet it would. I bet it would. Yeah, Jeff. especially since she's making out with dude man in the, in the hot tub over there. Yeah. All her brains are in those tiggle bitties. Um, <laughs> he didn't Thanks, see man. himself dating Joanne either. <laughs> That's where her brains are, apparently. He didn't know, you know, he didn't see himself dating Joanne. Um, he doesn't know Sherry well enough to think much of her about killing herself. And that's when the phone rings. So Sherry goes over and presses her ear to the receiver and hears it's Joanne calling to invite him over at 10 o'clock that night with the others from the party. He just says, maybe, and tells Garrett, it was just some girl calling like, okay, that's a little suspicious. Yeah. Before Garrett leaves, he asks if, you know, the sneakers Jeff is wearing now are the ones he wore to the party. And Jeff's like, maybe. And Garrett says, are you sure they weren't black? Those look dirty. And I don't think Beth would want those in her house. And Sherry and Peter are like, what's that question about? And I'm like, me too. What's that question about, Garrett? But Peter is very certain his brother did not murder Sherry, right? And for me, he was never on my suspect list either. I was like, he just doesn't give a shit enough about her. He's too indifferent. Yeah, He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he doesn't care about her enough to, you know, murder her. Yeah. So they end up riding with Garrett all the way into Hollywood where he watches a girl who Sherry recognizes from the picture in his wallet earlier, presumably his daughter, buying some heroin or something. They end up following her into a motel off Sunset Boulevard, you know, and it's dripping with these shadowy rope things that Peter equates to, quote, sadness. And Sherry ends up calling them bad vibes. And I'm like, the afterlife is weird, (laughs) y'all. They watch her shoot up in this hotel room or motel room. And they're about to leave, and suddenly this girl sees Sherry and says, hi. And Peter says, sometimes drugs can alter the perception of people, allowing them to see spirits and stuff. Sherry tries to tell the girl that she's wasting her life, and but, you know, pulling her father down a dark path when she he should be investigating her murder. And the girl's like, murder. <laughs> and Peter's like, do not give this girl ideas. <laughs> so Sherry's like, okay, I'll be back to talk to you again, girl. And the scene is really kind of sad and dark, you know, and I hope that Sherry can help her in some way, you know. So, you know, she and Peter hitch rides all the way back to Joanne's just in time for the group meeting. They go inside and Sherry notices how Dan and Beth are actively avoiding each other at this point. And this kind of makes me happy that they broke things off. I'm like, haha, they're done. You know, haha, went the shit. You know, I like it. Yeah, like Beth Joe isn't bring- as bad as we thought she was. You yeah, know? you're like, Beth actually does have some sense. She has yeah. a moral compass. She's like, I shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. She knew she was dating him. Or yeah. unless he told her they had broken up. Which, which is possible, you know, too, might not have been he's her. awful. Yeah. So. Right. He's, most likely he did that, and she didn't know. But still, I mean, she's supposedly your friend. You wouldn't do that right away, would you? Really? I don't know. So, yeah. So, they're avoiding each other. 
And um, Joe brings out a Ouija board, suggesting they should use it for Sherry, since the seance works so well. And this is when Peter admits that, that it was him that was in Sherry's body, that he jumped into her body when, at the seance, to, and um, he wanted to talk to Jeff. And I'm like, why didn't he just say that before? Peter seems kind of shady. Something about him is making me feel, I'm like, Peter, just come out with it already. Yeah. And he's a peeper. <laughs> he is. He's a peeper. Yeah. But at least he, met, he admitted it right out. Like he did. <laughs> you know, give him that credit. Jeff seems annoyed with Joe because of this, like contacting Peter part. I mean, it was his brother and seances seem blasphemous in a way, you know, um, Sherry wants to help move the planchette. I guess you call it a planchette. I don't know how you say it. Um, that sounds planchette, right. Planchette um, on the Ouija board, but feels she can't. And she's like, I can't do this. She wants to help, you know, answer these questions. So after some prodding, Peter agrees to do it by putting his hands in someone else's hands to help move it around. However, at one point, he says he's not moving it at all. When it starts to say that he and Sherry are both in hell and they're burning there. And Peter's like, I'm not doing this. But Sherry doesn't believe him, and he just gets mad. And then Jimmy gets mad, her brother, because he just, you know, he's like, this can't be true. This is not my sister. And he gets up, and he storms off, and Sherry chases after him. And that's when, out of him, the shadow emerges. And I had a feeling this damn thing was involved somehow. <laughs> she tries to get away, but trips. And it's like, no, it's like a classic slasher movie, you know? Oh, She yeah. trips and falls down, and she's calling to Peter for help. Help me! She unexpectedly lands in the cemetery where her tombstone is, and it, she looks at it, and it becomes like this mirror into the past somehow, showing her aging backwards from an awkward teen all the way to being a baby, and it seems really trippy. And turns out this is a trick of the shadow. It gives chase, and she's trapped in the cemetery. And she's trying to get over the iron fence. Thankfully, Peter shows up. He doesn't see the shadow, but he takes her hand and helps her up. They go to the park across the street, and they see the shadow is gone for now. Peter says all of this could have been avoided if she would just given up the investigation and gone over to the light, but Sherry just can't. She can't. She's a glutton for punishment, that's for sure. <laughs> she starts asking if psychics and mediums are real, and Peter says that there's a few they can interact with them, but they don't really advertise themselves. Again, he urges her to stop all this and just go into the light already. And I'm up and down with Peter, wondering if he's helping or is he trying to push her into something? You know, that's what it feels like. I'm like, yeah. what's going on with him? Because he's not giving her information. It just bothers me. He tries to reason with her by getting her to empathize with her brother's feelings. He asks if, if she has ever had someone she loved passed away. And she remembers her aunt who died of cancer. And that's when she gets the, quote, big idea. Remembering that she spoke to her aunt in a dream. She asks Peter, you know, hey, is this possible? Can I talk to people in dreams? And he's like, yes, but I'm not going to help you out this time because, I mean, look what happened last time we tried to communicate with the living. And he tells her, you know, you're going to have to figure this out on your own. I, I can't do this. And then with that, Peter just leaves. He leaves her alone. So Sherry ends up hitching a ride in a dump truck to get back to the house. I'm like, girl, you need to get, go to the mortal plane and just get yourself, <laughs> let yourself be a ghost already so you can teleport. Crap. She sees her parents getting ready for a getaway trip to recuperate and also sees that Amanda is going to be staying over in her bed. Yep. I don't know about you, but that would piss me off so much. I just died. You do not be, you not be sleeping. You get the couch, if anything. <laughs> not my bed. Anyway, so Sherry ends up falling asleep in her Ferrari in the garage. And it's weird to think that ghosts can sleep, I guess. But I mean, yep. it, it just kind of makes sense. You need a rest. 
Um, she wakes up around 2 a.m. and heads to Jimmy's room. She waits for his eyes to flutter to indicate that he's dreaming, and she touches his head, which seems to work, pulling her into his dreams. However, you know, he doesn't see or hear her at all. He's like talking to her and there's nothing. There's like a little veil between them or something. He's too overcome with sorrow to even like notice her. She can't stand it and she backs out. She climbs out the window and then sees her bedroom window open. Hmm. Thinking that maybe she should try Amanda's mind next. So she climbs up the trellis to her through her window and she's really got to get a hold of these fucking ghost powers, I swear. Like all this climbing and all this you know, out through windows. And she's waiting for Amanda's eyes to flutter next. However, all Amanda's dreams are in grayscale, and it's like tall needles with bubbles coming out of them. It's weird, but, I mean, dreams rarely make sense, I guess. Next, Sherry hitches a ride with a Hell's Angel, who apparently has a great voice and is singing Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a fun, fun ride. <laughs> she's, uh, she's at Dan's place now. It's awesome that he sleeps with a teddy bear. And I'm like, oh, he's a big old softy after all, even if he comes off as chauvinistic. <laughs> Bless his little heart. Yep. You know. His dream is something else. Okay, so in his dream, he's in his bedroom, but there's a blonde with Beth's chest and Sherry's face and Beth's voice lying on a circular waterbed. And Dan is wearing a full wetsuit and flippers. Yes. And, <laughs> and he's like, I love you, Marsha. And Sherry's like, Who the fuck is Marsha? And it's his cousin. Which... Yeah, he's like, it's my cousin. And I'm like, oh, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He showered with her once or something. <laughs> She's able to, like, talk to him. And that's what he says. He says, that she's, you know, Sherry, you're supposed to be dead. She's like, yeah, someone killed me. And he's like, no, no, you killed yourself. I saw you do it. I'm like, huh? Is this a dream thing? Or do you actually see her kill herself? And then it ends up, he starts dissolving into hysterics over seeing her dead body splat on the ground. I'm like, damn, boy, get a grip. Yeah. So she's like, all right, I'm done with this. She leaves his dream. And then she walks over to Joe's house. And she sees Mrs. Fulton smoking out front and reading the paper with an article about her in it. It's like, what's going on here? She's really looking at this paper, like, you know, thinking about it. So she goes into Joe's room, which is just wide open, something that she thinks is odd. She touches Joe's head, but apparently went too fast as she ends up fainting. Um, she faints, and she's now in this like psychedelic dream, and she sees Joe as an old woman who's like a psychic. And Sherry says she wants to know how she'll die and asks Joe to look into the crystal ball. I'll pay you double. I'll pay you triple. She's trying to get her to look into the crystal ball. And when Joe does, she somehow gets trapped inside of it. And then, you know, Joe gets trapped inside of it, and then Sherry kills her or something. And also gets trapped inside the crystal ball. It's all very convoluted and strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's and next thing you know, she wakes story. up. And, yes. I know. It's like, what? She wakes up next to Joe's bed. And Joe is on her bed, like, crying and calling out for her mom. Telling her that Sherry came to me in a dream. And she stuck me inside of a crystal ball. And she accused me of killing her. I'm like. But I love her. <laughs> but I love her. You know, and she's all distraught. And now Sherry understands why she shouldn't be messing with the living. I'm like, Sherry, girl, you in trouble, girl. Like, <laughs> you in danger, girl. <laughs> That's when she hears a telepathic cry for help. Sherry, help me. It's after me. It's Peter. Oh, no. What you going to do? What you going to do? Are you going to go for him? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to drink. She finds him a few blocks away, cowering from the shadow. 
he's pointing at it and she doesn't see it. So he runs from it and he's like climbing up walls. And then he like, she tries to grab his foot, like stop Peter. And then he like kicks her in the face. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's way harsh tie. She finally gets him to stop. And he explains that every person has a different shadow. It's with them at birth and they add to it as they grow older. It's a reflection of how you see yourself, mostly the worst parts. It doesn't really let you see you as others see you. And I'm like, from a mental health standpoint, I definitely understand the shadow now. Yeah. It's a good, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that part too. And I like it that they can't see each other's shadows. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was pretty neat too, but yeah. I also like when she's talking about, well, I haven't been that terrible of a person. So why is this thing so evil? <laughs> it's actually you, Sherry. Like, but no, I'm not a bad person. Like, no, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you have a lot of, it's like, it's kind of like body dysmorphia in a way, you know, you see yourself in the mirror and you look different than how you really look, you know, you think you look fat or too skinny or whatever. And other people see you as, you know, just, you look decent. You know what I mean? Like you're a good looking person, but you might see yourself as looking horrible. It's kind of like that, I guess. He says it's not part of your soul that you can escape it if you go into the light, but it remains here waiting for you to return. So basically there's only heaven and this is hell. I got it. You know, Sherry tells him about her friend's dreams and says that she's starting to doubt if she was murdered. Maybe she did kill herself. She's just like, maybe I did. Maybe I killed myself. And Peter's like, no, that's not possible. He then tells her that he was glad that they were lab partners in school. And she remembers wanting him to ask her to prom and he didn't. And he's like, what really? And they embrace for a bit. And she realizes that that now that they're at the spot where he died. He says again that it was his fault that he died. And she's like, wait, she starts to walk off, determined more than ever to find out if she died by her own hand as well. She's going to confront the shadow. I'm like, ooh, there's a showdown a coming. <laughs> she runs all the way back to Beth's place. She hops the fence and ends up climbing up to the roof before jumping down to the balcony where she sees the shadow licking at the side, the wide the walkway below. I say a sidewalk, walkway, whatever. And he's like looking at, you know, he's licking at the walkway. I guess the blood that was left behind. Apparently there's some, I don't know, I guess it's ether blood. I don't know. And then it looks up and it sees her. Sherry. It beckons her to jump down to it. And this is all starting to feel a little bit like, have you ever seen the Frighteners? Yes. With Michael J. Fox? That's what it kind of feels like to yeah. me. It's a little bit like, ooh. Um, suddenly Sherry feels no fear. It's gone. She's like, I know what I got to do. You know, she knows that she's the one that's feeding these things, her thoughts and feelings, that that's why it's able to catch up with her. So she ends up jumping off the balcony and not exactly falling or that she feels she's somehow in the shadows memory as a baby. She's taken from her mother by nurses after she's born and placed in a nursery with another kid. And that's when somebody comes, there are all these big figures in white, which is nurses and switches out the armbands. And then she's taken out again and she's given to another woman who is not her mother. And she starts crying and whatnot. And the shadow notes that Sherry was growing up around Jimmy and the Coopers, but they were not her real family. I'm like, what? I am so confused here. It also says it was with her in the balcony that night, but did not see who lifted her up and threw her off. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This all got really complicated. Yeah, so you just introduced all this extra stuff, but 
didn't answer any questions. You just created more. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? I'm a baby now, and now what? So she comes to on a, on the walkway about 12 hours later, and Peter's by her side. He had followed her and saw her jump. He tells her, you know, she tells him the most amazing thing just happened. That she connected with her shadow, and now she wants to go see Mrs. Parrish. Okay, so here comes a bombshell. So they arrive at Mrs. Parrish's just as Mrs. Fulton shows up. There's this heated discussion, but the gist of it is that Mrs. Fulton switched Amanda and Sherry at birth. Amanda is actually the Cooper's daughter, and Sherry is the daughter of Mrs. Parrish and Mr. Fulton. So he's the she's the bastard child. And she's basically Joanne's half-sister, which is why they look so much alike. Which, you know, it makes sense why Mrs. Fulton was always okay with Sherry and Amanda, but not with Mrs. Parrish. This is kind of the crazy-ass twist I could not have seen coming, right? Yeah. So basically, Amanda is committing incest with Jimmy because he's her actual brother. Oh, oh, oh. She's also connects them, you know, you know, Sherry's like, oh, this makes sense because um, they're both colorblind because Jimmy and Amanda only see her with brown eyes and she has green eyes and they both have grayscale dreams and it all makes sense now. Sherry remembers that when she called out to her mother, she was teleported in a bed alone with her mother. Her father wasn't there. And then she wakes up a few days later and she's Mrs. Parrish's bed because Mrs. Parrish is her actual mother. That's the reason why she didn't have the father there because there's no father there. Yeah. Oh, she was in, you know, that's her actual mother. That's why she felt so comforted because Mrs. Parrish always made her feel comforted. Then Lieutenant Garrett shows up to question both women. He says he has to use the restroom first and he makes his way upstairs, but he doesn't bother going to the restroom. Instead, he goes into Amanda's bedroom where he finds her shoes and investigates them. There, Sherry sees the orange chalky substance that she just saw on the roof of Beth's building earlier. And Peter notices it's the same as Garrett found in Beth's living room. Now she knows that Amanda had pushed her and then climbed over the roof to make her way back inside. Sneaky Garrett wraps the shoe in toilet paper and throws it out the window. And isn't that, I don't know, isn't that illegally obtaining evidence or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem right, but whatever. But he's Let's a renegade cop. <laughs> yeah. He didn't He doesn't know. follow the rules. <laughs> I don't follow the rules. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes downstairs and tells Mrs. Parrish, you know, I need to ask Amanda some questions. And this alerts Mrs. Parrish that something is up. And she and Mrs. Fulton kind of cover where Amanda is. I mean, Amanda did grow up as her daughter, basically. So she's got to feel something for her, right? It makes sense that she wanted to protect her still. So when Garrett leaves, he grabs the shoe outside and tries to phone over to the Coopers. He's no fool. There's a busy signal, which means the phone must be off the hook. Even though she doesn't think she can teleport still, Sherry thinks she can fly now because of what happened earlier. She jumped and, you know, she's successful. She jumps up and she goes. So she and Peter haul ass by flying like Supergirl. That's what he tells her to fly like Supergirl over to the Coopers. I'm just seeing this. Like the fist, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> until they find Amanda and Jimmy sprawled out in the living room with just robes on. They're naked underneath, apparently. And Amanda's feeding him a, a piece after piece of chocolate cake. And Sherry's like, that bitch, you know that Jimmy is diabetic. But Jimmy also knows that he's diabetic. So why I'm is like, he why you, He's depressed. He's depressed, you know, and he's just not thinking, I guess. 
it's very obvious that Amanda's trying to kill him. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then Amanda lets it be known that she's a diabetic, too. And damn, colorblindness, diabetics. The Coopers have a crappy gene pool. <laughs> they really do. She's talking crazy and thinking that Sherry knew all along, especially when she caught Amanda in Jimmy's bathroom at the beginning. Amanda was actually trying to give herself an insulin shot. She wasn't taking Jimmy's stuff. And it looks really bad now that Sherry insisted Amanda have a piece of cake before the party. I'm like, oh, no. But this is actual, like, bitchiness that's being attributed to Sherry that really isn't her fault because she really didn't know. It was just bad circumstances. Yeah, it was just like, (laughs) all of this was a misunderstanding. (laughs) So Amanda wants to, to, you know, wants to give each other insulin shots and then make love. And I'm like, oh. So... (laughs) She's fully convinced that Sherry was trying to keep them apart because, I mean, obviously her mother, Mrs. Parrish, was. We found out earlier that maybe she wasn't giving messages to Amanda or something. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden we see smoke from the fireplaces filling the room. And then Sherry can just see these bad juju vibes of black rope all over the place. And um, Amanda goes to get the insulin. And instead of his 10 units that he's supposed to get, she fills the syringe with way up to 100 units which could send him into insulin shock, basically. And already sleepy Jimmy, because he hasn't been sleeping, you know, and now he's eating the cake, um, isn't noticing anything that she's doing. And Peter says, Garrett is only like 10 minutes away. I'm like, Amanda is fucking unhinged. Get her out now, right? So Amanda ends up pinching a vein in his ankle and unloads the entire syringe directly into his bloodstream, which will kill him even faster. Yeah. That's when Sherry follows her to the bathroom. The whole time I'm waiting for some unknown power to come over Sherry and just knock this lunatic cunt out. Let's, you know, <laughs> knock her out. But it doesn't happen. Ugh. Jimmy starts to feel horrible and then Amanda spills everything. Sherry's not his real sister. She is. She overheard her mother praying about about everything and praying about her and everything. And um, now she's like, it's ironic that Sherry called her mother Mary so much. And I'm like, oh, this is creepy yeah the night of the party she was going to talk to sherry about it but after sherry prevented her from getting her insulin and then practically forced the cake on her she wasn't thinking clearly I'm like oh that's your excuse that's really it's <laughs> cake cake made you do it it's like the twinkie defense the twinkie defense <laughs> <laughs> then the magnet game uh, amanda asked questions about you know because she was doing it silently remember and it just fed into her paranoia and rage that she had to get rid of sherry she just, you know, so she pushed her off the balcony, climbed to the roof of the fire, to the roof, to, and then to the fire escape, and then snuck back in the front door just after everyone had left the room. And then she crept into Beth's room, and Dan thought she had just emerged from the bathroom. She even admits to moving the planchette on the Ouija board the other night and saying that Sherry was burning in hell. And that sick bitch thinks it's funny. Yeah. I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah, she's completely twisted. It's- yeah, because also Ugh. she knows that that's her brother and she still wants to do it with him and thinks that's yes. normal. <laughs> oh, my God. It's. Oh, I'm like, oh, it's man. very, very wrong. <laughs> so now now that Mrs. Parrish and Mrs. Fulton were discussing how to keep, you know, Amanda and Jimmy apart, she feels compelled to kill him and herself. If I can't have you, no one can kind of thing. <laughs> Hi, swim fan. Yeah, you know. The logic of teenage girls in a psychotic breakdown, if I had a dime. (laughs) (laughs) Lord. So Amanda fills the next syringe with air and is planning to inject it to give Jimmy a heart attack or something. Peter says 
Sherry needs to jump into Amanda to make her stop, maybe force the needle on herself, but Sherry doesn't think she can. She keeps going, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can. I'm like, just try. Damn, just try. So whatever. So Peter's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. So Peter jumps into Amanda and there's this hesitation and Amanda seems confused. And he's, he's like, you know, the hand is not going, you know, down or anything like that. And then Peter like jumps out. He knows his shadow is coming, which I think he can feel it, I guess. Sherry tells him to face his shadow, but he says he can't. It's pissed because he actually killed himself. He committed yeah. suicide. He swerved in front of that semi truck on purpose. And I'm like, damn, another bombshell. What the I hell? <laughs> then his shadow appears, which Sherry can't see it, but she she knows it's happening because he just goes off from the corner and he's like, ah, cowering. And Amanda just injects a syringe into Jimmy's, Jimmy's vein. Cue suspenseful music. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is all just too much for me. Yeah, anyway. there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Sherry jumps into the syringe, which, what? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I didn't she, see that I coming. guess she shrunk down and jumped into the syringe. She's trying to break up the air to help it, you know, go through his body easier. And then she's pushed into Jimmy's heart. Now, suddenly, she's in the dream that Jimmy had described earlier. Yes. Which I thought, okay, well, this is a good little back full circle moment. Only the balloon, balloon, what the fuck was that? <laughs> the balloon that she had wasn't brown. It's red. So she's like, you know, we need to pop this. It's a symbol of the air in his heart. And he sees her and he wants to stay with her. And, but she tells him, no, no, go back. You've got to go back. you got to keep living. you got to. And you have to forgive Amanda's crazy accents, you know, because you got all this, you know, because they both have like darkness on their hands. And if they don't forgive Amanda, then they can't pop the balloon or something. It's weird. So they, you know, he forgives her and they pop the metaphorical balloon and he tells her, I love you and I'll always remember you. And he's trying to say something else, but then he, you know, boom, he's gone. I'm like, well, thank fucking God. You know, <laughs> Sherry comes to and sees Jimmy coughing. He's going to be fine. Amanda, you know, has apparently gotten all the logs out from the fireplace and has them all around the room. It's like burning up the room. Yeah. And I don't I mean, I mean, she's trying to burn the house. I mean, can we say overkill? <laughs> <'Cause> she's <laughs> Literally. <not>. So <laughs> she's I'm going to inject you with too much insulin, which will kill you. I'm going to push air into your heart, which will kill you. And then I'm going to burn us. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I guess she's, she's thorough. <laughs> um, so she's about to inject herself with a bubble and Sherry finally musters up the courage to jump into her body, making Amanda drop the needle just as Garrett busts down the door. And there's this great exchange. I love it. He busts down the door and Amanda's like, you can't have me. And Garrett says, honey, I don't want you. <laughs> I'm like, you lunatic. Oh, good. Anyway. So the paramedics come for them both. And Jimmy tells Garrett everything that transpired about Amanda and how she killed Sherry and everything. And then what she'd done to him though. He, it's Sherry's disappointed because he doesn't remember their conversation. He just knows what Amanda was doing when she injected him with the air bubble. That's when Sherry goes over to Peter who finally comes to his shadow was showing him his life in a flash, like just repeated in a flash. He says that he spontaneously pulled his motorcycle in front of the semi. He was depressed that he had messed up his arm pitching, letting himself get bullied by his coach. He also said he felt lonely and that he actually had a thing for Sherry, but he didn't feel she would give him the time of day. She says that she felt the same way about him and that he could have just asked her out. Oh, the things we don't say to people, right? Right. 
he says that, you know, he knew she didn't kill herself because she could go into the light and he couldn't. And she's like, why couldn't you? And he's like, I spoke to some other ghosts and they all said that you have to stay on the, on the mortal plane for like how long your days would have been if you had lived or something. And she's like, that's some BS. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> have you even tried to cross over to the light? And he's like, no, I haven't even tried. I'm like, oh, Peter, why didn't you try? Anyway, Sherry tells him that he's worth it, that, you know, Peter confesses that he, you know, okay, I lied earlier. I didn't actually look at you in the shower. I was just messing with you. I did see you take your top off, though. <laughs> and uh, she's like, well, how did the look? He's like, you look good. You look great. And um, she tells him that she loves him and that he was, she was genuinely excited to find him in the great beyond when she met him there. And he starts to feel like maybe he could cross over. And it's really pretty sweet, actually. Yeah. They ride with Jimmy to the hospital where he says something that warms Sherry's heart. And it kind of makes her cry. And I actually kind of shed a little tear reading this, too. He's like, you know, Sherry was the best sister a guy could have had. It's really kind of sweet. So now we get to the epilogue. Finally, everybody, we're at the epilogue. You can hold, stop holding your breath. The truth about Amanda gets brought out in a big what the actual fuck moment. Totally. The Coopers are so elated to have a daughter again that's alive that they actually hire a defense attorney for her. I'm like, but she killed the daughter you raised. I know. That didn't sit right with me either. I was I'm like, like what? what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, oh my God. And so this girl only gets five years of psychiatric care. Bitches, what the hell? She needs a lot more than that. Like, she wants to no, do her does. brother and set him on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love this part because Sherry says that Jimmy tries to be supportive of Amanda and everything, but he's like, I'm no fool. I'm never going to be left alone with you ever again. I'm like, good boy. Good. Get the hell away from her. Don't tell her where you moved. Just get the hell away. So, but Sherry's name is cleared in the papers. It says stuff like Sherry Cooper didn't jump and she loves that headline. And the rest of the friends get together to discuss what actually happened, pretending that they all thought that she hadn't jumped that night. I'm like, yeah, okay, you bitches. And it kind of makes, it makes Sherry laugh. Like you asshole, you totally thought I jumped. <laughs> um, what's great though, is that Beth ends up slapping Dan because he like grabs her boobs, like right in front of everybody. I'm like, good for you. He's so bad. He's so awful. He is. It's hilarious to Sherry and to me. Yeah. Um, Sherry enters Mrs. Parrish's dreams to tell her she forgives her and Amanda and to give her some peace. And it seems to help the woman. She deserves it. She needed it. You know, she did something horrible. It, didn't, it wasn't horrible. She just gave into her lust and had a baby, you know. But I mean, she was a good person otherwise. Yeah. Bless her heart. Yeah. Finally, she and Peter have one last task. They travel back to the seedy motel in Hollywood. She's been practicing and disguises herself as an angel. And he's a devil. And they pretend to fight for the soul of Garrett's daughter right in front of her after she shoots up. They scare the shit out of her, too. <laughs> he's like, he's over here like, I'm going to, I can't, I didn't write this down, but I need to find this. He's like, let me eat her alive. Let yeah. me chew off her fingers one through five. He, he keeps saying things like that. <laughs> and he's like, she'll never change. She's already in my in my cage soon i will carve her dry i will lick her bones and make her cry <laughs> and she's like why do you keep rhyming and he's like that's yeah. what devils do <laughs> they rhyme it made me think a lot the scene in beetlejuice where they're trying to like scare the people away and they're like making the faces 
Yeah, yeah, it's just like that, basically. Yeah. Basically. So, they, you know, they scare the shit out of her, too. Um, Sherry says that she cannot help her. I'm an angel, and I cannot help you if you don't help yourself. And promise to go clean and reunite with your father. So the girl's like, okay, fine. She keeps this promise, and now she's clean, and she's living with her father, Garrett, who has stopped drinking. He's all cleaned up, too. They fight every so often, but at least they're together, right? Happy endings for everyone. <laughs> In the end, it's revealed that Sherry has been jumping into Jimmy's body while he's sleeping because he still sleepwalks. And she's been typing out this entire book so that maybe somebody will find her story so that she will be remembered. The end. The end. <laughs> yeah. So, what did you think overall, Kelly? So... My problem with this is the same problem that I have with American Horror Story. And okay. that it did too much. There's mm. way too much. And American Horror Story is awful about this. But it's like there's the, you know, there's the murder mystery. There's the ghost. There's the shadow. There's the incest and the baby switching. <laughs> you know, it's just like there's yeah. just so much that to me... I was like, they could have done with like three less things in there and it would have been better. Or given us more clues about the baby switching a little earlier on. Yeah. To like it, make it filter out a little bit instead of all of a sudden all at once. By the way, you are not who you think you are. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I liked it still, but it still was, it was a little too much. It was like, oh my God, what the yeah. hell? I did like it though. It was still fun to read. It was still good to read, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, the, it was just, they did a whole lot. They did a lot. Like a they really lot did. Of stuff in there. And there's two sequels. Yeah, I know. What, what are they? It's Remember Me: The Return and Remember Me: The Last, last story. story. Yeah. Which I don't. I don't know if that means like the last story of Remember Me, or if like there's another story she falls. I don't know. But um, <laughs> I thought I never read funny. those. I mean, I wonder how Pike continues the story. It. I mean, it seems pretty wrapped up to me, unless there's like new characters or something. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, maybe it's like completely different people, you know, like I'm um, hoping. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I just think that's a little weird. Um I don't know. I think it's I liked it though, and I'm interested to see if they use this as one of the stories in the Midnight Club because it's very interesting. And, and I've should... never heard of that, but I'm interested to see it because Oh yeah. I like Mike Flanagan and you know, I liked The Haunting of Hill House. I thought that was really well done and uh so yeah, I'm I found out that in the Midnight Club in the book, their um their doctor is a guy. He kind of looks like Santa Claus in a little way. He's got a beard, white beard, big guy. But in the show, they changed it to a, a woman, and it's Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's really neat, and this gives a lot of opportunity to have a lot of cameos because they tell stories, and we're going to see those stories, kind of like the Midnight Society in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the Midnight Club, but um, and we we get to see a lot of cameos, maybe of different actors and stuff coming in, and probably they're all going to be people from different Mike Flanagan projects because he always reuses the same people over and oh, over. Yeah. yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I would like to see this Chain Letter was a good one. You might like Chain Letter, the first one. Apparently, the second one's really supernatural. The, the first one's more like kind of like I know what you did last summer, the movie, not the book. The book is more of a murder mystery. It doesn't. It's not like a slasher, but this one is more like. A kind of a mix of the book and the movie. It's more of a slasher murder mystery. You would probably like Chain Letter. I like I slashers. <laughs> yeah, you would probably like that. It's a little more grounded in reality, I guess. 
thank you for reading it with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And for I think it was really me. fun. Yeah, yeah, I had a good time. Yeah. I'm glad we actually get to talk face to face for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so where can the audience find you online? So uh, we are Drunk Theory and we are everywhere. So we're always hanging out on Twitter with games and shenanigans and all of that. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. So, yeah. And if you find Drunk Theory, that is us. Uh, we, <laughs> Just we, look we, for Drunk Theory. Yeah. We own that name. I filed a service mark on it. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good. Yeah. And it's, it's DrunkTheory.com, too, your website, yes. right? drunktheory.com uh drunk theory we're drunk theory podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us uh so awesome yeah. and make sure you check out drunk theory because it's available where pretty much all podcasts are played we are it's everywhere. a fun time <laughs> it's it's just nonsense you guys come up with different themes of each episode where you think of stuff to, to talk about and you all research separately and you get drunk and you, you tell each other you laugh and you tell each other these weird stories of things that have happened or different theories or conspiracies and whatnot. It's fun. I, I think it's really a fun show to listen to. And the more I've listened to it, the more I've grown to like it even more and more. So oh, well, that makes me I didn't know what to think of it at first. <laughs> and I, I like, make a I themed to? drink for every show. Yeah. So I make the drinks on TikTok. So find me on TikTok and I'm making the drinks. So if you hear this episode and think, oh, that sounds good. I'll show you how to make it. <laughs> good. Awesome. Um, I might, I might, I don't know. I, I would probably check that out. I'm, I'm not a huge drinker, but I will say this. I'm doing something, a new project where I'll be doing a new podcast and I'm going to be adding drinks to that. And you kind of inspired me to do it. So um, I'll, I'll tell uh, you guys, will all hear about that later on and probably in the next couple of weeks or the next episode or so. So be sure to look out for that. Yeah. I think you'll like it. Um, Remember to find me on social media. I'm at Dustin underscore Holden on Twitter. Again, at Dustin can read on Instagram and Dustin can read pod at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought of this episode. If you have any comments, please let us know. We want to hear it. Uh, feel free to drop some episode suggestions. You know, come on, let's chat. And don't forget to rate and review this show on Apple Podchaser, Good Pods, especially where Kelly's you know, very prevalent there. Um, and uh, wherever you listen to the show, we really appreciate that. So thanks again for listening and for me and Kelly until next time. Bye everybody. Bye everybody. Dustin can read. I know I'm a dork. I can't help it. I just got no, in my I head. I love like, it. <laughs>